My goal is to really help people have some other path to explore besides, oh, I'm depressed and anxious. Like, what do you do with that? I'm not against drugs or therapy. I'm pro a good life. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Have you ever wondered what could be causing your anxiety or depression or even that funky fatigue that wears on your mood and emotional well-being? And this is a question that women ask me every single day because right now, no surprise, rates of anxiety and depression and exhaustion are at an all-time high. Many of us are feeling very depleted and it's taking a toll on us physically and emotionally. And women wanna know what can they do naturally to address unexplained mood and emotional shifts. And today, we are gonna answer that question. Now, last month, about four episodes ago on episode 214, I invited nutritional psychiatrist, Dr. Uma Naidu, to share her cutting edge research on how certain foods can heal and support our brains and emotional states. This episode was powerful. Because according to Dr. Naidu, food should be the first line of defense along with key nutrients, especially because she discovered that nutrient deficiencies can cause anxiety, mood swings, and depression. So today, I want to take it a step further and look at the type of lab testing we should be getting, we should be asking for when it comes to addressing the root causes for anxiety, depression, and fatigue. Now, it's no surprise that our neurotransmitters like serotonin, GABA, and dopamine require an endless supply of certain nutrients that many of us are actually deficient in. Just like hormones, our brain and neurotransmitters require magnesium, iron, B vitamins, vitamin D, omegas, and much more to function day in and day out. Now, if we're lacking these key nutrients, our brains can't function at 100%. It's like trying to make a cake without having the most important ingredients like flour, eggs, sugar, and butter. You really can't make an edible cake without those ingredients. And let's be honest, your brain can't function without those building blocks. Oprah was right when she said, know your numbers, especially when it comes to our emotional well-being. So what should we be testing for when it comes to addressing anxiety, depression, mood swings, even fatigue? Well, that's exactly what Dr. Kristen Allett and I will be discussing today. I invited Dr. Allett to shed light on what she sees every single day in her clinic, working with people struggling with severe anxiety, depression, and even addiction. She says it all starts with basic nutrition, and she is never surprised when she sees nutrient deficiencies in her patients. Over the years, I have personally seen countless women prescribed anti-anxiety medication, including myself. For having symptoms of exhaustion, having period pain, chronic fatigue, hormonal imbalances, especially low and overactive thyroid function. The medical industry often overlooks nutrient deficiencies and automatically writes out a script instead. Now, if you're thinking that your mood swings, your agitation, maybe anxiousness, is potentially tied to your periods or your hormones, and you want to know what to take specifically supplement-wise and nutrient-wise to get your hormones back on track. Today, I am gifting you my bonus guide, my top 11 supplements for hormone balance, 
that I created specifically to connect the dots and it explains which each and every supplement will do for you. And we're talking about the, the big time supplements like B vitamins, magnesium, omegas. Like why are these so important? What are these doing in the body? How are these not only ensuring that hormones are binding to receptor sites, but that hormones are getting created to begin with? I also wanted to make sure that you got a comprehensive hormone lab testing guide. So these are two separate guides. These are both bonuses that I created for episode 218 today. And what I love about this guide is it's honestly the most comprehensive hormone testing guide that I've ever found. It took me well over a month last summer to create this. It has all the normal labs, like when you're looking at a lab report and you're looking at the the scale in which it's being measured, oftentimes those normals, that scale is definitely more off, more general. And what I want you guys to have is I want you guys to have a lab guide that functional doctors look at. These are the most ideal ranges for all hormones, including thyroid, reproductive, and stress hormones. Now, after going to my primary doctor not too long ago, and being told that my iron and ferritin levels were normal when they were actually practically off the charts low, I knew that I needed to create a guide that provided true functional levels. That way you can compare your doctor's lab normals and your doctor's lab ranges, and you can compare it to this guide that is consideredly, considered functionally normal. Now, very often their lab normals, their ranges are not normal at all. And it's no surprise you have symptoms. I think that one of the worst things that happens is when you go to the doctor, they run your labs and they're like, everything looks great, but you still feel like crap. I cannot tell you how often those labs are not normal. They, they totally indicate that something is incorrect. And that's why I want you guys to have these two guides. So definitely check out both guides. They're going to be for episode 218. One of them is drmarisa.com slash supplements, and the other one is drmarisa.com slash, I want to say, lab testing. So now that you've got instant access to these epic and critical bonuses, let's dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Kristen Allett. But first, I want to sing her praises. Dr. Kristen Allett is a naturopathic physician, national speaker, and pioneering advocate for the use of whole food nutrition in the treatment of mental health disorders and addictions. Allett is passionate about achievable results. She trains medical health professionals around the world, as well as organizes and courts on how to optimize their brain for better decision-making, creative problem-solving, and health. Let's welcome Dr. Kristen Allett to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Kristen Allett. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's uh, nice and warm here, which makes oh, me happy. Oh, great. Yeah. How warm is it? It's, it's like 90 in, oh. in Tacoma, Washington, which is hot for us. Oh my goodness. So true. Yeah. I'm in San Diego and it is a, it is a chilly 68 degrees. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know what is going on. Well, it is so, so wonderful having you here. I was so fascinated by your expertise. What we're going to be talking about today is labs to rule out the physical causes of fatigue, anxiety, and depression. And I am so happy that we're going to get into this. I know this is an area that people definitely feel in the dark and really happy that we're going to get to clear a lot of this up. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty, 
Debbie, I've got so many questions for you. I would love to know kind of what was that defining moment for you, Dr. Allett, that you knew you wanted to do this work, you wanted to help people in this way? Well, so right out of college, I got a job working with kids in psychiatric crisis. And I was a biology major and a religious studies minor. And the religious studies minor was just, I was fascinated in people. And that was a way of like understanding people's choices. I was not a psychology major. And they handed me the DSM and said, learn this book because this is a medical manual for mental health. And I read it and I was like, one, this is not a medical manual. There is zero physiology in this book. And two, I qualify for most of it. So, (laughs) Personally. Personally. (laughs) And you should look closely at oppositional defiance. (laughs) And then working with kids in crisis, what I saw were kids who are living really traumatic lives and our solution was medication. And I was like, So if, and we didn't even have the Medicaid, this was 20 years ago. So there was like Trazodone and Prozac and Haldol, (laughs) which was just a bad, bad choice. Right. And, and I was like, well, what if the drugs don't work? And, uh, and they're like, well, then they're going to be locked up. And I'm like, that can't, uh, 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 can we do something else? And and so like what I observed is that when they got fed regularly, like they their behavior really changed. And when they got fed crap, their behavior. And I was like, what if glucose? I don't know anything, but like, what if glucose is a problem? <laughs> and so when I got into practice again, like drugs were the solution. I'm like, I don't think everybody's suffering from a Prozac deficiency or an SSRI deficiency. There must be physiology that connects mental health to well-being. I just got really curious about it and, and am very grateful to the patients who taught me a lot because that wasn't even what was in my training. Because my training as a naturopathic physician was that St. John's Ward or 5-HTP with solutions. But I was like, well, that, like, how's that any different than Prozac, right? Like, what is the root cause? And so that's kind of how I got on that path. And, and wow. I continually I love that. I mean, you saw a red flag. You see, right. It just wasn't making sense. It wasn't computing. And you were looking at the long-term repercussions of what was happening, even short-term of what was happening and was like, there's got to be a different way that we approach this. Yeah. Yeah. So let me try. Yeah. And let's be honest. There are a lot of people who have trauma when they're children. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that, that doesn't mean that they need to be medicated into numbness. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with that as well. Well, I, I was talking to you a little bit before we got started, and I remember when I kind of had my my major kind of Mack truck moment when I was 30 years old, and I had had a lot of trauma as a child. And one of the things that happened to me due to my trauma um, that was a consistent amount of trauma over a long time, period of time is that as a 20-year-old, you know, in high school and even in college and beyond, I was very much in survival mode. And I thought for some reason that everything was going to get taken from me. So I had a very scarcity mentality. Um, and there was a lot of false positives for that. I, I, I excelled in everything that I did, but it came at a cost. And that cost really got me at 30 years old, you know, after over a decade of running and running and running, pushing to, I don't even know what I was heading towards. Um, I just felt like I was running away from 
and um, ended up getting severe chronic fatigue. And I remember going to this practitioner, this hormone specialist, and and I told you she had given me her prescription or solutions to these this chronic fatigue issue was was Xanax and birth control. And I remember walking out of that office feeling so lost and feeling very discouraged and thinking to myself, like, I've got to, I know that there's another reason for this. And it was a compounded reason, but talk to me about differentiating fatigue, anxiety, and depression, because so often I think doctors and a lot of us are seeing them as the same. Definitely my doctor was clearly seeing it as the same for me. Right, right. When I was trying to figure this out, in my living room, I had a stack of neurophysiology books. I had a stack of physiology books and I had the DSM way over in the corner because I didn't like it very much. And for anxiety, irritation, and agitation, I see hypoglycemia being one of the biggest drivers. And I know that you talk all the time about glucose control in your podcast, and you do a great job of promoting protein and small frequent meals, and I've heard that. But I see that really regularly in my office is that people are not, particularly people with histories of trauma, their limbic system is very sensitive to adrenaline. And and every time you go more than three or four hours without eating, you're going to have adrenaline bleed into your system. And that's going to slip you into your reactive brain versus your responsive brain. And so I see that over and over again. Generally, when I see people eating protein every three or four hours, what happens is maybe they get a drop of three to four points on their scale of one to 10 for their anxiety. So that generally when people come in, that's the first thing I address because you have to start getting the anxiety and irritation down just so that you can address the fatigue. That makes sense. And and does this also happen? I know when people are feeling burnt out or they're running constantly, we tend to grab those those kind of more sugary snacks or the caffeinated snacks and we're leveraging that as fuel and then that crashes do we, does, is that also creating a level of irritability because of the Absolutely. inconsistency? Okay. Absolutely. So generally most people, if they have just a carb hit, it's going to last them an hour and a half to two hours on the outside. If somebody has a lot of trauma, I've had trauma patients with really high adverse childhood event scores, right? So just trauma after trauma. And sometimes they have to be eating protein and carbs every two hours for six months a year just just to be able to get to baseline. Because part of healing from trauma is just lowering, like knowing when you're going to get an adrenaline hit and being successful dealing with that. So if a bear comes in a room, we all know why we're really, really anxious, right? Like that is a good reason. And we can go home and say, we were really, really anxious. But when we have cereal for breakfast, and then we have a normal meeting with our boss, and we have a panic attack, we think that's because of the meeting, but it may have been because we didn't have any protein in our breakfast. And, and so the layover of those two events and the anxiety, the performance anxiety or whatever it is like that, that is a setup for, for anxiety. And when we have, you know, when we're trying to control anxiety all the time, we get fatigued and it burns through, when we get hypoglycemic, we burn through our neurotransmitter GABA and GABA is what calms our brain. And so then we start looking for other things to calm our brain, like sugar and alcohol or marijuana. 
which, you know, is, is another coping mechanism. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that we're, we're talking about food out the get-go. I had a nutritional psychiatrist on um, a, a just, well, coming up, she's coming up to go live. And, you know, I have known for a long time that food plays such a big role in managing our stress levels, managing adrenaline, managing anxiousness and depression, um, and just having us feel more even keeled. And I just love that we're seeing so much more research coming out to really demonstrate that this can be the solution. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there, when I started my practice, there was no research and now there's just like amazing research coming out. I still wish they would do a little more research on glucose control, but they are seeing the value of whole foods and real, real foods. And Felice Jacka, if people are interested is the one of the researchers to go and look up. She's pretty fabulous. Generally, when I start with people, I just ask them to eat pro- something protein with carbs, fats, and and fiber, of course. But but a lot of people that I work with are in recovery for addictions, and so t- taking something else out of their diet is you know they have a thing that they're trying to keep out, and so I generally just add stuff, and then the bad stuff sort of falls off the the table when when it's time to. And so I just get people eating protein and at least a minimum of 65 grams of protein divided over the course of the day, which, as you know, is a pretty low level of protein. But that usually stabilizes the anxiety piece to a degree. And then we can look at how much the fatigue has cleared up. Now, separating fatigue from depression, I don't think can be adequately done without labs. Because the nutrient deficits that people are experiencing that don't look like nutrient deficits to the psychiatrist or primary care physician. And and one of those labs, and I'll go over the the base labs that I have people start with, and not that there isn't more to do, but like this this is the labs that I, either I will do or depending on their insurance that I can get their primary care physician to do. Since I'm uh, one of my clients uh, describe me as the person that takes care of whatever the psychiatrist, the primary care physician, and the therapist are not doing. And so, like, I'm that player that, like, cleans up whatever that is. That's a lot of cleanup. And it depends on the patient, right? Some people have awesome physicians and awesome prescribers. And, and some people, you know, have minimalists who are doing real minimalists. And so, like, I'm just trying to catch what ha- they haven't caught. And so my experience working with kids in crisis, I like working in teams. So um, I'm not uh, doing a lot, initially a lot of uh, creative labs that, that people aren't familiar with, physicians aren't familiar with, because I want them participating in as a group for the benefit of the patient. And you're specifically looking at those de- deficiencies that could deficiencies, be, yeah, right. which we can get from a lot of typical labs, not digging deep into right. deep hormone labs or looking at C-reactive proteins. Like we're, we're looking at really deficiencies that can be seen on a, on a lot of standard labs. And I liked how you were talking about like there's optimal levels in labs. 
And I tell my patients, I overinterpret labs. I want you to be an A student with your physiology, not a C student. Because if you fall off the edge of a spectrum for labs, then, then you're a C student. And there's some labs that that's appropriate with, but it's nice to, to, you know, kind of be in the middle range. And I think as a patient, you know, I would like A plus physiology, right? You know, as a patient, I don't, I don't, you know, my doctor's interpreting my labs and they're just like, eh, that's good. I kind of, I'm like, you know, what can we do? How can we measure this so we can get me in that Goldilocks sweet state? Because you're right. It doesn't take a lot. Let's you're, you'll say you're at sea level, still deemed normal. You, what, what happens if you tip the scale? Right. Right. Which happens all the time. Which happens all the time. And, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, like our well-being was determined by our physical health. And now we are totally dependent upon our brain. And what our brain needs versus what our body needs, I think our brain is much more sensitive. And when we lived 100 years ago or 500 years ago, like if we didn't have the physical capacity to get up and go do something, then we were eaten or killed. And when we started studying labs, we were looking at people who were very physically fit who were eating mostly whole foods. And now we're living in a, almost a completely virtual world. And what our brain needs to process not only fuel, but nutrient needs in order to make neurotransmitters and deal with the complexity and the rapid change that we're experiencing, I think is fundamentally different than good enough. That's part of how I really want people to look at labs. And some of this is my clinical experience. And, so, and as we go through it, there's a few labs that I'm like, no, the, the research is there. They're just not using their own research, which is annoying. Yes. That makes- <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's true. Yeah. So should I d- describe the panel that I think people should ask? Absolutely. You know, this is such a perfect podcast for you because everyone's, everyone's listening. You know, we go, we talk about labs a lot in these episodes and listing off. I know that our, my audience will definitely know, and it'll, it'll start, things start to just click, right? We start to hear the same thing over again and we start to know like, okay, that is important for me. So yes, please. Okay. So I'm just going to run through the list. I'm just going to name them and then I'll come back to the top and give a little primer on each lab and how I think about that. And I know many of these your listeners are familiar with. So a CBC, complete blood count, a comprehensive metabolic panel, lipid panel, TSH, thyroid secreting hormone, a ferritin, which is an iron marker, hemoglobin A1C, CRP, C-reactive protein, homocysteine or B vitamin markers, and vitamin D. These labs, everybody should get their, be able to get their primary care physician to do. I agree. It's, it's mm-hmm. not asking a lot. And, what, and once you get it, then they may say, yeah, everything's okay, but you can go in and do your own detailing, or you can connect with a functional medicine physician who can help you be curious. But from a mental health point of view, in terms of differentiating anxiety and fatigue and depression, 
these are some of the things that I look at for each of those labs. So with the CBC, I'm just looking at the red blood cell indices, and I don't want them hanging off at the low end of the spectrum. Do I have specific numbers that I look for? No, it's not that I'm not that specific because I, I want to look at the constellation of a picture. Because what I found is historically, depending on how much somebody exercises, if they have recently been at altitude or not, like those numbers can fluctuate quite a bit. And that, and so I'm just looking to see like, are they bumping off, off to the edge of the spectrum with any of them? Uh, then the comprehensive metabolic panel, this has a whole bunch of indices in it. The two things that I'm looking really closely at that I think everybody can, there are others that I think are harder and not as a physician, but the one that's unique that I think everybody can look at is total protein. So total protein, and this is my clinical experience, I like that to be between 6.7 and 7.2. So the interpretation of that is if it's not above 6.7, then you're either not eating enough protein or you're not absorbing enough protein. At 7.2 or above, I have never seen somebody get that high unless they're screaming anxious or overtly anorexic. So let's think about that for a minute. Like, why would protein be so high in somebody who has a disease process that makes it hard for them to eat? It's because they're catabolic. And when we get catabolic, we break down our protein mass and we get this really high total protein number. And so when people have gone to the hospital thinking they're having a heart attack and they actually had a panic attack I, and I can get those labs, I'm like, wow, you were screaming anxious <laughs> because your, your protein levels were so high. I have had weight lifting men who like, you know, eat small cows and are <laughs> every day and like knocking into and and they'll get up to the 7.2 range but they like I don't ever see them get much higher than that. Now that's my experience base that I'm not saying it's not possible, it's just the people who have presented. The other lab that's in a comprehensive metabolic panel is uh liver enzymes, AST and ALT. People who are not drinking more than about five normal servings a week, their ratio of liver enzymes is in the low 20s. And it's one around one-to-one -one ratio. And so it becomes pretty easy for me to look at those liver enzymes. Now, if they're on a lot of meds or they're, they're around a lot of solvents, that will throw that off. Like you have to know what's going on. But sometimes I see people's liver enzymes really low. And I, and I don't think that's healthy either. Because those are the people who can't, well, we don't do it because this is COVID. They don't go into department stores and, and, and like perfumes. But people who are really sensitive to scents often have these really low liver enzymes values, which then cues me that like, are they not getting enough protein? Do they have a, are they deficient in B vitamins? Are they deficient? Yeah, what's going on with the detoxification process? Right, like yeah. what, what's happening there? Because Sometimes people are like, more is better. And so they're like, I want really low liver enzymes. And I'm like, no, you actually want a really robust liver. And I like that in the low 20s range. So thyroid, 
there's a lot you can do with thyroid. I initially start with just a TSH, partly because this is actually a pretty big blood draw and I don't want to draw people dry, right? So I'm, I just want a quick look to make if, see if thyroid's in the same value. Sometimes I'll go and do the antibody tests and the full panels later on if we don't figure out the fatigue where I'm actively looking for autoimmune disease and stuff like that. But I want that, you know, between 1.5 and 2.5 kind of nice and low range. It is shocking to me how primary care physicians are like, well, it's five. Four, <laughs> <laughs> Four or five. Four is great. <laughs> I'm like, no, ah! like that's going to make you feel depressed. Yes. You know, I so often I find, in, and I know you can speak into this as well, you know, that the low thyroid function or autoimmune function is just missed and missed and missed. And it absolutely can present as anxiety and definitely fatigue, brain fog and mood swings, all of it. Yeah. And the other thing that happens is when there is an autoimmune process, there's can be up to a 10 year back and forth of high thyroid hormone, low thyroid hormone. In the meantime, people are having panic attacks because they have too much thyroid hormone. And then they're and then they can't get out of bed because they have no thyroid hormone. <laughs> and, and one of the things that when somebody does have an autoimmune condition, if I'm managing or if they're having somebody else manage, I insist that they have an open lab that they can go get tested. So if they think that their thyroid is off, they can just go get tested. And my mom's endocrinologist actually taught me this because she did that. And she she learned that when her thyroid was off by a tenth of a point and she could get it adjusted for that. And like, it just helped her mood so much to have it just that tightly regulated. I love that. Honestly, I haven't heard of, of a lot of practitioners offering an open, I have Hajimoto's and, and low thyroid. I mean, a lot of it's already managed and, and, and all the things I've been doing for it for so long, but some of my doctors, I'm definitely, I get, I get it checked every right now, specifically, I'm getting it checked every six weeks or so, but it's not open. I got to be on it, you know? Right. And I don't think physicians think about it, but like you can just ask for a lab slip and you go fill it whenever you want. Then they can either call you with the results and be like, yeah, you're fine or go have an appointment. But like, why not just have an open lab slip? You know, especially for the thyroid. Absolutely. Especially for the thyroid and some of the other things. So ferritin is the next marker. And this is the one that like, if I had one lab that anybody dealing with mental health, people with mental health, particularly women who are presenting with mental health and fatigue, this is the one lab because so many physicians look at the CDC and they're like, you're fine. And they don't follow up with the ferritin. And there are multiple studies that show that if ferritin is below 50, women are fatigued. There is this incredible study done out of Switzerland where they took a 1,000 women who had already been diagnosed with iron deficiency and then went and got their health history and interviewed them on how they got that diagnosis. And over a third of them prior to getting the iron deficiency diagnosis were diagnosed with mental illness, put on a psychotropic med or sent to therapy. And that wasn't their problem. Their problem is they couldn't synthesize dopamine and serotonin, which you need iron to do 
plus iron is used in a billion other reactions in the body. And, and our brain actually needs a lot of iron to make myelin sheaths and neurotransmitters and, and connect and all sorts of things. And it was just too low. And when that was corrected, they felt great. This is such a big lab that is often, like you said, overlooked. Just totally, totally over- overlooked. And so I like it to be about 80. So just because it's 50, some people are like, well, it's 50. And I'm like, yeah, at 50, you're fatigued. <laughs> and yeah. How I've are seen, you feeling? <laughs> I've seen women come in who don't, who are not anemic by the CDC and they're at like 10 or 15 and a ferritin, which I'm just like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> and, and when we correct that, uh, they feel a lot better. I have a lot more to say about that. And if we have time, I might come back to that, but I want to get through the other labs. I know I was going to ask you, yeah, but women are wondering, this is something I see all the time. How should I be bumping on my iron? What are the things that I should be looking out for? Yeah. So let's come back, to, come back to that if we have time, because there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot in that. Um, so hemoglobin A1C is a great, everybody should be having that done. If somebody is doing a keto diet or intermittent fasting or like a specialized diet, their A1C is going to get low in the, you know, 5.1, 5.2 range. Often people, it depends on their, if there's a history of trauma, often women who have a history of trauma can't tolerate being on a keto diet or an intermittent fasting diet because slipping in and out of ketosis is really, really hard. It's a stressor. It's a stressor. And there's a lot of adrenaline in the system. And all and and basically trauma gets re reemerged every time you get an adrenaline hit, and so it's like in, and you may not do it, but you have to spend the energy. Kind of, I kind of think of trauma as like a messy basement, and like everything out of the basement wants to come up into the living room. You're like, oh no, right? And and it's uh, a great and, analogy. <laughs> No, stay in the basement. And so it's kind of a narrow window that I'm looking for people to be, which is like 5.4 to 5.6, which is super narrow because we don't want to get into prediabetes, but we need enough glucose around so that our prefrontal cortex, that smart, responsive part of our brain can be in charge. And otherwise our limbic system's in charge. And so Taking over, yeah. Really closely at that. And sometimes people come in and I'm like, the reason why you're anxious and fatigued is that like, yeah, you're, you're, you don't have diabetes, but like you're not doing well, right? So C-reactive protein, I use the highly sensitive or cardiac one. It's really just a matter of decibel points, but I would like people to not be above a one. So the range is one to three and I want it really low and addressing inflammation is really important. And usually diet, exercise, and omega-3s will take care of that. It's, it's actually not, and sometimes gluten-free diets, but you know. Yeah, it's not hard to get it back down. It's not hard. And it makes such a difference. And if CRP is out of the normal range and, and often uh, allopathic physicians are like, oh, it's five, you know, and I'm just like, no, <laughs> no, you will be really fatigued if you have an elevated CRP and inflammation in your system. 
I use homocysteine as my B vitamin marker because it's catching the MTHFR gene, the methylated folate that we're looking for. Again, like, yes, you can do genetic testing, but I want to just have a look-see. So there's a study that showed that men who had a homocysteine of 12 were depressed. And so I just tuck that down to a seven because I don't want to be anywhere near that. Near 12, yeah. And so, so if that is above a seven, really, it means that you need to be on a B multivitamin with all the B vitamins, but a methylated folate and maybe a methylated B12. And, you know, and I kind of keep it simple that way. Yeah, I agree. I think we all should, I mean, again, not a lot of people have run their genetics don't know what type of mutations that they're working with. And so I just think it's safe to be on a methylated or activated B vitamin. For women in particular, it's very rare that I find that women that are not deficient in one, at least one or two B vitamins. Right. And the problem with just taking one B vitamin, like B12 often is commonly just taken, is that you will drive down B6 or folate. And so, so you know, it's kind of like an orchestra. You got to have all of them in the mix. And so doing you can do one for a while, like six months to treat something specific, but doing it continuously will really set you up for other deficits. And then vitamin D, because we're not in the sun or we're trying to no, not get not. cancer. <laughs> you know, like, there it is. We're definitely not in the sun right now. Yeah. A lot of us are in home. In home. And, and they've done studies where they've gone along California beaches where they're outside, the, you can see the tan and they're drawn and they still don't have enough vitamin D. And so like, we're just not doing it. In the Northwest, it's just impossible. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. I think people are like, oh, I'm out in the sun. I'm like, it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. So generally when someone's ferritin is low, I just start supplementing it. So I like Thorn. I don't make any money off of them. I just, I, I like them. So they have a Ferrisorb product with iron bisglycinate, I think is what it is now, but it has, uh, it has some folate in it and it has some vitamin C. Really important to get vitamin C in when you're taking iron. For the plant-based eater, protein eaters, uh, it's also really hard. Plant irons are harder to absorb than animal. And so really making sure that you're pairing your vitamin C ascorbic acid with your meals really helps increase the, the absorption. There, there's a new theory about supplementing vitamin iron that you should miss every other day. I have not seen that effective with any of my patients. I have not seen that effective either. Oh, good. Yeah. Like now I have a sample of five I take it every day. <laughs> It's it to me the theory is like playing the stock market and like you know like what I learned about the stock market is you just invest in a regular fashion and you don't pull out and you don't you know and it's kind of the same thing like don't play the high and low just make iron available and your body will absorb it when it needs to absorb it like I I try and always try not to be smarter than God or evolution because I'm just not going to do it so getting iron in. Certainly getting the meats in helps and making sure there, there's some acid with your, your meal because none of us are slowing down enough. That could be some lemon juice or some vinegar. Some people supplement with hydrochloric acid. I have, I have not done that partly because my patients are already on too many pills and I'm just like, uh, we can't do any more pills. And I always am trying to move back towards food. 
right? And so seeing if that helps. The next step, if they do that, and it, it's slow. Yes, I make that really clear. This is a process. It's slow. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's certainly going to be six months before, before really worth looking again. But watching the energy levels, really, the energy levels by the third month should tell you. If there is no movement on energy levels, then I'm like, hmm, next I'm looking at a celiac panel or just being like, let's pull gluten for three weeks. So it's uh, generally what I do is that I pull gluten for two weeks and then, and then do a week challenge with variations depending on the people. If you're sensitive to wheat, it's easy to block your ability to absorb protein, B12, and iron. So if those three are low in somebody, like I, I'm just like, okay, we gotta pull the wheat because like that's that's like the triad that means that like you can't absorb. Right. That just demonstrates if we see low across all three markers, then it's an absorption issue more than anything else. Now, do you just pull wheat or do you pull most grains? So I mostly just pull wheat. So again, my population, they're across, all across the ages. Right now I've got like 20-somethings and 70-year-old somethings, which is actually really interesting, but it varies from season to season what my group is. But my group tends to have high PTSD and tends to have some addictions. And so I don't, deprivation is a really strong survival problem. And so I'm very slow to get into like, let's pull things suddenly. And so I'm like, let's do, let's pull wheat. Have you noticed any sensitivities to anything else? Let's, let's back that off and just see if we can get them feeling better with that. And what I find is if I just pull wheat then they start to get enough traction. And if they want to make other dietary changes, they come back to me later and be like, hey, can we try this? But like they have to get off of the bottom that they're on before they can get their head wrapped around more than that. Because it just gets more and more complex and often eliminates what's happening socially. And I don't want to do that. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know, I, I work with a, a different demographic and so often we've got to pull a lot of things, but yet definitely, you know, taking certain foods off the table can absolutely mess with social. It, well, if there was a time to do it, I guess it, it would be right it's now. Right now is so the time to do it. <laughs> you're not, we're not doing social because so much, you're right. So much social connection is, it revolves around food and, and wine and cocktails and all the things. And I also really liked, like people to start to intuitively understand, like, I'm going to do this and I can maintain this. Like, I'm really focused on, let's not figure out what the problem is. Let's, let's figure out what you can do right now and maintain. Sometimes people, given my specialty, think I do a lot of food antigen panels to just see. And it, and it just depressed people because they were either allergic to everything, right? And then the perfectionist starts talking to them that they need to you know, eat just Brussels sprouts and lamb and rice. And like, that's not helpful. Like I want them to intuitively figure out how they feel that's better. my dinner tonight. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think that's so funny. <laughs> but yes, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. 
<laughs> right. And if you can do it, great. And you feel great about that. Awesome. But like, yeah. I really, you know, like, I'm just explaining that like. Totally. Uh, yeah. You look at that list and it can be very depressing it and can. it can feel very discouraging. Very and if you're already dealing with trauma, as we're talking about, right. you know, that, that does not make for a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm always just like, let's see if we can get you off bottom. And then you're going to have the bandwidth to think about other things. And so, so, so we try those things. The other thing that, that has been really helpful around iron is IV. Yeah. I was going to suggest, yeah, I was going to ask you if, if that's something you recommend if you're not seeing changes. I refer out to that. I don't do that myself, but it, boy, it makes a huge difference and it, and it gets people off of bottom much more quickly than supplementation. But there's a couple of caveats that's interesting about that is one, you always have to warn people that like your emotions are going to be a lot louder for a couple of months until you get used to it. Like they'll have more energy and they'll be warmer and the, their hair will stop falling out. And, but, um, like, the, their reaction, emotional reaction to things rather than being like, is now like, ah! <laughs> and they're like, what was that? Cause they just have more. Right. So that's one thing that's interesting about that. Well, and it really speaks into how important these nutrients are, like how much they can shift when we have them in the system, like how much it can shift us emotionally, mentally, physically, all of it. So often we think that that's, we don't always see that. Right. And that there's an adjustment pay- phase to ha- to like you, it, you actually have to adjust to feeling better, which nobody ever thinks about. No, we don't. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be, we're I'm just trying to get better. there. We don't right? think about the, that there may be some repercussions on, the, on that end. <laughs> and that on that end. And so the other thing that's interesting about iron is, is we I'll, I'll have them go do IV and, but like they will, It'll increase and then it'll fall back and it'll increase and it'll fall back. And I think what happens is that if somebody's had a low iron status or a low anything status for a while, that's become homeostasis. And that's been sort of marked as like the high water mark. And so when we push it above there, your body's like, oh, well, we've got plenty. So we don't have to absorb anymore. And we don't have, and it'll fall back. And you kind of have to lean on that for two or three years before your body's like, wait, I think they want our iron at 80 (laughs) rather than 15. Right. And some, and some women get really frustrated or, or feel like their body's betraying them because it's not holding. And I was like, no, no, it just learned a different pattern and we're trying to teach it a new pattern. So those are some of the things that I look at And I appreciate those distinctions as well, you know, um, as we're, as you're on the journey. So really kind of the highlights, number one, considering protein, considering, you know, protein with meals more frequently throughout the day, looking at some of these important panels and nutrient deficiencies that we should keep our eyes on that could definitely signal that something, um, that there's inconsistencies or deficiencies, anything else that we should be in terms of food, we, we should consider adding in. I really work with people to make sure that, so observing their energy levels and making sure that, that they have good energy throughout the day and then correcting for that. And so m- mostly what I'm curious about for people is like, do they have afternoon fatigue? And so afternoon fatigue usually correlates to not getting protein within an hour of waking. 
and then looking at where does their anxiety show up? And then maybe we do a lizard brain treat, sort of juice and nuts kind of thing if they're starting to get anxious and really building tools to understand what's happening in their body. 3 a.m. waking, which is a very common experience for women over 40, and it seems like even women in their 30s now with stress levels, I consider that a hypoglycemic event. And your blood glucose got low while you were sleeping because our brain's very busy. And so when we wake up and the brain's like, da-da-da-da, you know, the committee's talking to you and it's like, oh my God, he should have said and I should have said and like it wants to problem solve. Uh, like getting some some juice and nuts in, the juice so that the adrenaline gets cut off and the protein so that you can make it to breakfast. And then the other place that people are not hungry in the morning, and the, uh, that to me is an adrenaline event. And so again, I like using juice or some kind of more refined sugar, but mainly because it gets in fast. Not a lot, quarter cup, you know, but so it gets in fast is sort of the tools. And so I'm generally working on those tools, making sure that people get protein and then fiber and probiotic foods, getting in enough fat, you know, with like avocados and nuts and all of those really, and olive oil, all those things that you know that you're talking about. Dark berries help acetylcholine in the brain. And so acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter that helps us imagine things in our head. And, and if you've ever painted a room and you had those volatile pollutants, uh, like sometimes people are like, I can't think I have brain fog. And I'm just like, or nail polish will also do that. And I'm like, oh, go get some dark berries as long as they're not sprayed. And they're like, oh, that really definitely not sprayed. Definitely not sprayed. So those are some of the things that, you know, like I'm always treating what they're complaining about, but those are sort of of some common things that people with history of trauma are complaining about. And, And, but the big thing that I see make a difference for people with history of trauma is making sure that you always have a quick glucose supply and some protein in your bag so that as you start to get anxious, you can make sure it's not a fuel problem. And that really helps people, particularly when you have to be at your best. And we don't necessarily want to feed ourselves when we're going into a high adrenaline event, because I think that's our natural tendency, but it's not helpful in this intellectual world that we live in. Mm -mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And they're definitely physical implications longstanding over time that we all want to be mindful of. I I think that this is very doable. I think that there's so much of so much of this interview that we can walk away from and 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 be prepared for. You know, clearly the labs and getting the labs done that's a little bit more of an extra step but being but just being mindful of of listening to our bodies, checking our energy levels, being more aware and then kind of, and, and managing that with, with nutrition, the right nutrition, I think is, and you, it's, you've made it so, so easy in terms of having those little snacks, you know, having yourself prepared. Now, women, we always have our purses and stuff on us, so it's not hard to keep that stuff with us. Dr. Kristen, I know that you also had a little bonus guide for us as well. Yes. Yes. So, Tell me a little bit about this. So I was raised by lawyers. <laughs> and, and and so one of the things that I have learned is the way you get your physician to do 
what you want is that you bring in documentation and you write it, you write it out and you say, these are my physical symptoms. Do not say the word depressed or anxious because then they're just going to put you on meds. But say, here's where I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time doing this. I'm having a hard time doing this. I'm fatigued. Here's and here and and we have a, a letter that you can use for your physician saying, here are my symptoms and here are the labs that I want. And and then you go in and you just hand it to them. And if they refuse to do it, you just smile and say, thank you. Will you please put that in my in my chart, because that's as much your chart as it is your physician's chart. And then you can go get, you can go pay for your own labs. There are many ways. I know that you talk about the many ways that you can get your own, own labs done nowadays. And when you find a deficiency, then you can go in and say, my iron is 15. What do you think about that? And oh, by the way, here's three studies on how that's unacceptable, even though the normal range goes to five. And <laughs> And we also are including, I have, um, I do training for nurse practitioners and other physicians, and I have a summary on just the importance of ferritin, which has the studies in it and how to think, how to think about interpretation. And, you know, this is just for educational purposes, but I thought your, that your audience would really enjoy that because I saw you had done something similar and I, and, and I really want people to have the studies, particularly around the ferritin because the the physicians don't know. Agreed. And I think that's really important. You know, you know, physicians are doing the best they can, but they sometimes they just don't know. And having that, not only having that backup, um, having those references and and knowing where your normals, what what a, a tight you know, A plus physiology normal should look like is so, so important. I mean, you might find yourself and many women on this, at these podcasts, listeners find themselves um, doing just that, educating their physicians. I definitely have educated my physicians on my thyroid labs. You know, those who they're just, they're not the ones managing my thyroid care, but they're like, oh, oh, this, this, this. And I'm like, yeah, so here's the deal with that. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thank. This is incredible. This is wonderful. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been really fun discussing this. And, and you know, again, my goal is to really help people have some other path to explore besides, oh, I'm depressed and anxious. Like, what do you do with that? I'm not against drugs or therapy. I'm pro a good life, which is what you are. Yeah. And well, and there's so many... So many side benefits. Yes. Right? So many side benefits. (laughs) And I think that's the important piece is it's important to solve the problem and getting to the root cause of it. But then look at all the side benefits that we get from it as well when your body is working more optimally. Oh, yeah. Like then you get to have the life that you want. Exactly. You get to realize your dreams. You get to feel good. You get to be happy. You get to have amazing relationships. All the things. All the things, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I love the breakdown. I love the research. I love this amazing resource. Um, So grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you. Can I tell people where to reach Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Definitely, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And we will have the resource in the show notes as always. Easy link to get to, but please tell us where we can find you. So uh, kristenallett.com 
And the other website that you can find is proteinforall.org. So I have two things that I'm doing. I work with sort of the average person uh, for mental health. And then I also am working to support people who are food insecure and in poverty to do better in their lives. And we have a book coming out in February with New Harbinger. And if you're interested in knowing about that book, please uh, sign up for our newsletter at either of those websites. We're hoping to get 5,000 books out so we can hopefully get a designation of a national bestseller so that we can form a nonprofit to help people who are food insecure. So that's our long-term goals. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for sharing and reminding me. I'm yeah. so excited about your resource. It just flew by. Well, thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you. You know what I love most? about Dr. Allett's insights today. It literally opens the door for a root cause solution, especially for women who are just not feeling like themselves. Millions of women are suffering from anxiousness, fatigue, and hormonal imbalances, whether it's because they're going through menopause, perimenopause, fatigue, PMS symptoms, mood swings, depression. These symptoms can lead to more serious problems if misdiagnosed. Identifying the root cause of chronic health issues is certainly correctable, but only if properly identified with labs and then addressed with the right nutrients and nutrition. So if you're interested in checking out the resources that Dr. Alec created, including her own detailed lab guide, because she also knows that the lab normals from your primary doctor are probably off and they're going to miss probably a very critical component to making sure that your brain is functioning. So I'm going to have both of these guides, Dr. Allett's guides that she mentioned during the interview and mine, my hormone lab testing and supplement guide. They will both be in the show notes for episode 218. I highly recommend if you are concerned about your labs or you know you've gone to the doctor and they say to you, everything looks normal, you're fine, just go home, then it's important to be able to to take these guides and compare to what is going on with your labs. That way you can get even deeper and hopefully get to the root cause of what is going on. Again, the bonuses will be in the show notes for episode 218 or on my website, drmarisa.com slash podcast. And I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I'm digging deeper into the most important signs and symptoms to look out for when it comes to your thyroid. Right now, millions of people have a thyroid issue and it is undiagnosed. So I'll be breaking down how to identify low thyroid function and what labs to request. Now, the reason why I want to go down this path is that, again, so many women are showing symptoms of low thyroid function and feeling super crappy and terrible. I was one of those women, and the more and more we have this conversation, the more and more I can shed light on what's going on with your body, especially if it's subclinical thyroid issues, then we can get you diagnosed and properly treated, especially with key nutrients. So I'm excited to shed light on this because it's a journey. I know that my journey is not a journey I want any woman to have gone on. So the sooner we can get you handled, the better. So I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Until then, have an amazing week, and I hope you're enjoying your summer. 